We're going to be in Second Thessalonians chapter one. I'm going to pray before we before we read through this, and rather than reading it all and then working back through it, we're going to work our way through it one time. And um, I want to pray for the Watts family and give you a moment to do that as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll spend a few moments just in silent prayer. If you'd pray for them, and then I'll pray for us aloud. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you, God, for your sufficient grace. Lord, we do not understand your ways. We do not understand your ways all the time, and we do not understand all of them. But we know that you have a throne whose foundation is righteousness and justice. And God, we know that you are good. And, Lord, while we do not always experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living as far as the way that we can see it, God, we know that you are good. And, Lord, you visit us in our time of sorrow and suffering. I pray you visit the Watts family in a very special way throughout this time. And, Lord, may they feel our, their, your love through us. I thank you for them. I pray, Father, for them that through this time that they would show patience and faith because their hope is beyond this life and into the next one. Lord God, I ask you to minister to our hearts through your word today and allow me to serve your people well in delivering your word to them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We're just going to work our way through this chapter in the next few minutes together. I've entitled this this message, Worthy of the Kingdom of God. And as we look through these first three verses, I'll just read them and then we'll just kind of look at it. You see Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. We'll stop there. And in this first part of this passage, we uh, see here something to be thankful for. In verses 1 through 3, we find the Apostle Paul giving thanks. Now, you notice here that it starts off Paul, Savannah, and Timothy. You're probably familiar with Paul, and you're probably familiar with Timothy, but you may not know too much about this guy, Savannah, or maybe you think you don't. But this is actually another name for Silas. Silas would have been there with Paul and Timothy when they went to Thessalonica to begin with in Acts chapter 17. I know you all remember what chapter that was in Acts. Um, uh, He was there, and he saw the things that occurred. And now as Paul's writing back to them, probably from Corinth, 
just over in chapter 18 of, of, of the book of Acts, that Silvanus was there or Paul was there. In the book of Acts, he's always called Silas. In the letters, he's always called Silvanus. And in the, even at the end of 1 Peter chapter 5, you find him as being the one who wrote the letter of 1 Peter for the apostle Peter. Uh, he was called a, a, a manuesis. That's what a scribe was who would uh, write for another. And so uh, Silas or Silvanus um, uh, did that for them. You know, Silas was the guy who went in Macedonia there in, in the book of uh, Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. He was there with Paul in the prison and they were singing hymns to God in the middle of the night. And God did a great work to deliver them and actually to deliver a Philippian jailer from his sins that very night through the gospel. And then they went on to Thessalonica in chapter 17. But we see there in verse 3 two things that we're thankful for that Paul was thankful for. He's thankful for answered prayer. I'm not going to go back and look at it because I hope you at least vaguely remember it. That when Paul was writing to them in the first epistle, he prayed for their Love, and he was concerned about their faith. You can see this in chapter uh, 3. Really, chapter 3 covers all of that. And then you go into chapter 4, and you find him there delivering to them the word or instruction about love, about brotherly love, that they are taught by God to love one another. So when we see here in verse 3 that he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. He is, in essence, thanking God for answered prayer and for their obedience to the word that had been delivered to them. Now, our second point as we go to verse 4 is going to be this. There's something to be troubled about. If there's something to be thankful about, there's also something to be troubled about in this kingdom. I mean, in this passage. And one of them is actually the kingdom of God. There's something positive here to be troubled about. The Thessalonians were being troubled about the kingdom of God. In other words, they were receiving persecution and tribulation. If you look at verse 4... So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God that uh, your patient, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Now, just looking at these verses briefly, you see Paul's boast there of them to the other churches, how those Thessalonians, man, they are, they are hanging in there, but they're not just hanging in there. They are having patience because they have a hope that's beyond this life. They have a faith because the God that they believe in is an immovable God. He does not change. And they are, faith, they are having this patience and this faith in the midst of persecutions and tribulations. I was thinking about those two words. You know, if somebody were to walk up to your house with a brick, and because you're a Christian, they were to throw the brick through a window in your house, that would be persecution. Um, now, 
if they were to throw that brick through your window because you worship Jesus Christ, they are persecuting you by doing that, but now you've got a window to fix. Now you're facing trouble because of what they did through persecution. And then if that brick were to hit someone in the house and harm them, then your tribulation even increases more than that. When we read this about the Thessalonians, they were a people who were being attacked, if you will, from without. But they were also facing trouble because of this persecution that was upon them. But yet they handled it with patience and they handled it with faith. Church, this is one of the things that we as a congregation have to learn from God's Word. Because in this world, we will have tribulations. But we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. The Bible tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So what we want to do is we want to take a passage like this. And we want to see the example of the Thessalonians. And we want to keep this in mind because when persecution and tribulation comes, maybe upon us as a congregation or maybe upon us individually, we want to seek to handle it and endure it with patience and with faith. Why? Because we have a hope that is beyond this life. It is a patience of hope. And we have faith in a God who does not change. So they endured it that way. And Paul was very thankful for them in that. Now verse 5 is a very interesting verse. Because in mine it says manifest evidence. Another word for manifest evidence could be plain evidence. So which is plain evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Now the question here is what is the plain evidence? What is the manifest evidence? What has God made obvious To everybody. Apparently it is what's in verse 4. This persecution and tribulation. That they endured with patience and faith. This is manifest or plain evidence of the righteous judgment of God. In other words it's it's a judgment or it's a decision that God made. While we can endure things from other people and sometimes we can look at them and think, oh, I can't believe that person would do that to me. We must remember that we must look past that to remember that we have a God who judges righteously. And even the things that we endure in our lives come from the hand of a living God. Things that might be difficult. Can you think about Joseph? Remember when his brothers came to him and they were concerned, you know, that he might get revenge on them? What was his response? What man intended for evil, God intended for good or God meant for good. He could see past the human uh, means through which the suffering came and he can see a God who was working through all of that. And this God is working through, you see at the end of verse 5, he had a purpose in it. That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. He's letting them go through this. That they would not only be a part of the kingdom of God, first and foremost is what they are, but that they would actually be worthy of the kingdom of God. You think about the trials and the sufferings in your life. 
You think about the things that you endure. And you think about how you endure them. And then one day, standing before Jesus Christ in His kingdom, when He returns, and for Him to look at any of us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You're worthy of the kingdom of God because of the way that you handled the things that you, that you had to endure. I don't mean that that saves us. That doesn't, that's not what this means. What it means is that we live like people of the kingdom. So we see that there's the kingdom of God. That's something to be troubled about. And then there's the retribution of God in verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. You got the kingdom of God and you got the retribution of God. All right, so let's see this together real quickly. So um, God allows this, uh, this um, time of persecution and tribulation to come upon His church. And He's doing that, that they might be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. But then in verse 6, we see something else righteous about God. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. That's pretty clear. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So you see the table being turned. The troublers are going to be troubled. And the ones who are currently troubled will find rest when Jesus Christ returns. It makes it all quite worth it. And we see what happens in verse 8 as Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And I want you to realize that when we read this about the mighty angels of God, that there is no military force on the face of the earth that compares with the, mighty, with the might of these angels. There is no nation or uh, army that can withstand them. These mighty angels will appear with Jesus and we learn that they will go to the four corners of the earth and they will gather together the tares and they will cast them into the furnace of fire. They will come and they will gather them and there will be none who can resist or who can fight against them or who can free themselves from them. In verse 8 it says, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these people who are going to face this retribution of God who have two characteristics about them in this passage. They do not know God. And we could go on beyond that to say that God does not know them. Galatians 4 verse 9. At the same time, these people have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have heard perhaps that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried And that he rose again from the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen alive. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did this. But yet they have not obeyed it through repentance 
and faith in Jesus Christ. So they don't know God. Today I want you to know this morning that you do not know God if you do not know Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. But at the same time this morning, if you want to know God, you can come to Him through Jesus Christ. This morning you can have eternal life through the Son of God who died for sinners like us and rose again on the third day that He might give eternal life to those who believe in Him. It's the promise of salvation through the gospel. That's why it's the gospel. It's good news. It saves us in our sin. In verse 9, he goes on to talk about what will happen here. And that brings us to our third point where where I've entitled it something to be testifying about. Because you'll see here the emphasis of glory in this passage. In verse 9, at the end of it, the glory of His power. In verse 10, to be glorified in His saints. In verse 12, the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. So with that in mind, let's read through this. And let's see this in verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What's the big deal here? We see absence of glory is the absence of Christ. The absence of glory is the absence of Christ in verse 9. These who do not know God and these who have not obeyed the gospel of God will be punished with everlasting destruction. Let that shape your theology of heaven and hell. It is an everlasting destruction. And what is so terrible about this is that it is from the presence of the Lord and from the beauty, the glory, the splendor, the honor of His power. Though you be under His wrath, you will not partake in the glory of His power. So the absence of glory means the absence of Christ. But then we see the presence of glory means the presence of Christ in verse 10. It says, when He comes in that day. What day? Well, that that day. Probably the same day that's referred to in chapter 5 verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The the coming of the Lord. When He comes in that day, for what reason? For what reason here? To be glorified in His saints. And to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. Think about this. Have you ever admired something? Have you ever admired somebody? We were at an auction the other day. Me and the boys, we like to go to estate auctions. But we were at an auction the other day. It's just kind of fun. We don't really buy anything big, but we try to grab up something every once in a while. But we were at an estate auction a couple of Saturdays ago, and there was a beautiful yellow Corvette convertible there. I think a 60-something model. We, we walked around those Corvettes, and we looked at them. We were admiring them. I think that thing sold for almost $40,000. It's not in my garage, by the way. <laughs> but we were admiring that thing. Think what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. This person that we have seen by faith, we're going to see literally with our own eyes. 
and we are going to admire him. This person that we've thought about, that we've studied about, that we've tried to imitate for all of these years, there he's going to be. And it's going to be all about him. And when he comes in that day, as you see in verse 10, he's going to be glorified in his saints. We, the wretched sinners that we are, Christ is glorifying himself through us because he saved us and made us holy and without blame before him. And we admire him. Why did Paul, as you look at verse 10, why did Paul say that happens? Why, did, why would the Thessalonians do that one day when Christ returns? It's at the end of verse 10. Because because our testimony among you was believed. Here's what it means, guys. It means he went to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they were apostles of Christ bringing the good news of salvation through Jesus. They believed it. And because of God's grace in their life to believe it, they one day will be admiring Christ when he returns. And they one day will be a vessel through which Christ glorifies himself. It's a beautiful thing, and it gives us something to testify about. It gives us something to be mindful of when we're sharing the gospel with others. It gives us something to, to motivate us, because without that testimony, they will not be there on that day to admire Jesus Christ. And Jesus deserves to get His glory. He deserves to be glorified for who He is. Let's see the last point. The purpose of prayer, the glory of Christ. Just real quick, verses 10 through 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Now, I ask the question, what calling? Therefore, we also pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Well, I go back up to verse 10. The calling of, of Christ glorifying himself through his saints the calling to get to admire Jesus Christ one day. And what helps to bring us to that point, to make us worthy, it is the sufferings that we face in this life at times. Persecutions and tribulations. It all ties together for the glory of Jesus. And Paul is praying that uh, here that they would be counted worthy of that calling. And then you notice at the last part of verse 11, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. I want to take just a second. Some of your other translations have a, a, a better rendering of this, a clearer rendering of it. If you have the New American Standard, it may say something like this, and to fulfill every desire for goodness. Is that close to what it says? To fulfill every desire for goodness. See what Paul's doing here. He's praying that God would count them worthy. And he's praying that God would take every desire for his goodness that they have within them. And that God would take every desire or work of faith that they have within them to do. And that God would bring it about. You ever thought about doing something for the Lord? 
I'm sorry. Have you ever thought about doing something for the Lord? I, I, I hope so. That's good. But we need to pray that God would bring it about. That God would make it happen. Every Fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. And then in conclusion, in verse 12, it's for the glory of Jesus that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him. You would be glorified in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see in this passage today those three points. See that there's something to be thankful about as God continues to work in the Thess- they, He worked in the Thessalonians, and we ought to be thankful for the way God's working in us. There's something to be troubled about. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're troubled about anything, let it be that we face trouble because of the kingdom of God, because we're doing what's right. And there's something that those who trouble us will be troubled about one day when Jesus Christ returns. And we must always remember that vengeance is the Lord's. And finally, we see that there is something to be testifying about. That something is the good news of Jesus Christ, that He died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And that message of Jesus Christ changes people's eternities. And it changes people's nows because they now have something greater than this life to live for. And I pray we'll live for it to His glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this wonderful chapter. And Lord, I ask You to bless the words of this chapter. Not my words, but the word, your word, that it would be very good for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.